0: to a Podcast on Fire on High Risk and Return to the 36th Chamber. Wong Jing makes fun of Jackie Chan and then his action team makes a die-hard movie starring Jet Li in High Risk. In the form of High Risk. Also, director Lau Galung takes us and the master killer Gordon Liu back to Shaolin Temple and the 36th Chambers in Return to the 36th Chamber. This time, it's funny. My name is Kenny B, and with me as always... It's um, I always rope him in when it's time to have like a at least a part Lao Galong love fest and admiration party. So therefore, I brought back Mike Bailey. So say hi, buddy.
1: Hello, always up for that, mate. You know me.
0: Well, well, we uh, we share the admiration and the sort of know how to speak of um, the filmmaker in question. But then you have the uh, added uh, martial arts know how that actually brings a little bit of context to. Uh, things on screen which i greatly enjoy hearing even though it's not something i'll ever be able to uh, to learn myself so you bring a you bring a technical know-how as well as a uh, passionate fan uh, perspective to it all mike so that's what i enjoy about our conversations
1: oh well i'll try i mean i'm no expert so you know but, but i do try and look at little different
0: well 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 neither of us should uh, tout ourselves as experts because we're merely amateur sort of critics but uh, uh, but, but i'm of the opinion that uh, if you uh, if you reach expert then where's the fun in the next part of the journey right like uh, where, where do you go from that so uh,
1: from there exactly
0: so uh, we'll we'll get, get into it some quick contact information before we discuss uh, wong jing's little uh, jackie chan dig or not jackie chan dig depending on of, uh, of uh, the, the opinion of uh, what uh, goes on here you might think it's a an immature sort of uh, school boy saying to Jackie Chan, or it's something else, slightly more clever than that. We'll, we'll talk of that, I'm sure. But in the meantime, uh, we are Podcast on Fire on the Podcast on Fire Network. And this uh, website uh, where you'll find this show on vintage and newer Hong Kong movies is podcastonfire.com. We also have shows on Japanese cinema, and Korean cinema, Sleezy Cinema. We have talked about Ninja cinema because it is cinema. We do audio commentaries every now and again and also website exclusive bonus episodes. So I hope that you can find something you listeners, I'm talking to you. I uh, hope you find something that is uh, aligns with your tastes. So uh, welcome in. Uh, so we, and if you haven't listened before, welcome. We're friendly and uh, hope you like it. If you have any questions or feedback on uh, these uh, movies, Jet Li, Jack Chan, uh, Wong Jing, etc., email us, fire at googlemail.com. Follow the handy buttons at the top of our website to our facebook presence there you have our page you can search out our group which is called podcast on fire network uh, where you can interact with us follow show updates etc so uh, welcome and uh, join the discussion Uh, it's very well well behaved and good natured and you can also click the twitter button to follow our tweets the itunes button to subscribe to this particular show or the entire network and finally you can click the stitcher radio button to stream us on the go either on the website or the application available on the apple app store or google play Uh, i write about a variety of hong kong taiwanese movies uh, of, um, of, uh, of the naughty kind of the horrific kind, of the uh, crazy wacky kind and uh, a variety of genres in between over at sogoodreviews.com. My video reviews are available on sleazykvideo.com and my tweets are available at sogoodreviews and uh, we'll we'll link to your uh, various endeavors even though you might not write anymore i'm sure there's uh, the uh the facebook page for your martial arts school I'll, i might as well link to that i have done so in the past because you your uh, training is uh ongoing um even if it isn't weekly it's still ongoing your training i gather
1: yeah yeah we 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 train every week so it's still it's still there it'd be nice if new people turn up Exactly. Give the listeners a little uh, verbal
0: shout-out to a school in case they are in in the area.
1: Uh, It's Walsall Chougar, and we teach traditional Hakka, uh, Southern Primantis Kung Fu, and we're based in Walsall. And we've got a Facebook page with all the contact details on, so if anybody wants to pop along for a few free lessons, they're more than welcome.
0: Excellent. Uh, In the meantime, we'll take a short musical break, listen to some uh, music from High Risk uh, from 1995 and uh, talk of the movie uh, afterwards. So uh, sit tight and we'll be back. And welcome back and our first review of this episode is High Risk from 1995 and plot from the Love HK film review of the film. Jet Li is Kit, an ex-soldier who watched his wife and child get killed by a mad bomber. Years later he becomes the bodyguard-slash-stunt-double for megastar actor-slash-stuntman Frankie, played by Jackie Chung. Frankie's actually a thinly veiled Jackie Chan parody and he's got all the telling signs. A silly grin, an extensive stunt team an and entourage and a popular Japanese fanbase. However, Wong Jing's version of Jackie Chan is also a total coward, who's forgotten his kung fu after years of hard partying and making movies. Things reach uh, ahead when Frankie's party is crashed by uh, terrorists, uh, and among those terrorists is the mad bomber that killed Kit's family, and he's played by Kelvin Wong. Then the film becomes the Hong Kong equivalent of Die Hard, as Kit and Frankie must subdue the terrorists. So, Mike, uh, we'll uh, do some short, bite-sized opinions first of all of uh, this um, uh, sort of action, gameplay, comedy, a little bit of martial arts, and uh, Wong Jing immaturity thing. Is so, uh, what's your short opinion first of all of
1: High Risk? I'll be brutally honest. I enjoyed watching it. It was it was enjoyable. It was funny, and you know the action was excellent. The action was still better than anything you'd see in an American film from that time. Brilliant stuff.
0: Very uh, rare energy, which uh, and uh, we've got some standout moments uh, to discuss here. I, I fairly agree. I mean, I, I feel no shame watching this, even though it's clearly directed at someone a little bit, uh, which is a discussion point that I have, but it's very Wang Jing. It's possibly too immature. It's possibly very vindictive, but it gets the commercial stuffed tone right, meaning that there's... there's so much stuff going on here, comedy and action, blah, blah, blah. Uh, What you want is here, including the Die Hard movie. That's the um, sort of portion of the movie that Corey Yun and Yun Tak, the action directors, are responsible for and they get that right. And you also get a a hilarious Jackie Chung performance as Jackie Chan, sort of. And we might as well address that the elephant in the room, if you will. Uh, so, in in your sort of spontaneous, off the cuff opinion, uh, you know, based on evidence here, do do you think Wong Jing was taking out any bad feelings uh, on to Jackie Chan because their working relationship before on City Hunter wasn't wasn't the best, and Jackie Chan had apparently been vocal publicly saying he didn't like working with Wong Jing, so. Do you think he's taking that out on Jackie, or do you think it's a satire of uh, a star masquerading as uh, masquerading as uh, a, a bigger man than he is, that he performs his own stunts and stuff like that? So, uh, and um, you know, because as a matter of fact, he's sort of a wimp. Uh, this character. So, uh, what's your take on that?
1: You watch it, and it's uh, it's obvious that it's uh, he's got issues with Mister Chan. As you, as you rightly pointed out, from working with the with City Hunter, and he's obviously had to get something off his chest by this film. But I've got to say that I think it does work. I thought it was hilarious, to be perfectly honest especially when his manager and his dad turn up and I was just laughing. And my wife, my wife was saying, when well, are you laughing? I was going this is really funny.
0: <laughs> well, we, they really get, uh, I mean, we did mention it in the plot, but they, they uh, portray versions of, they, they don't, they, obviously it's Frankie, so they're, these uh, characters are not the actual characters, but obviously Wu Ma plays uh, Frankie's father and he's a dead ringer for Jackie's dad and his um, public image uh, and Charlie Cho plays um, well, he doesn't play Willie Chan but he totes, looks like uh, Willie Chan and plays it a little bit camp as well to uh, to add to the immaturity and, and that, that's all funny because they're the dead ringers for, for the characters. I think though personally for me I yes, he has issues. I, I know that but it, it is more leaning towards, as the movie goes along, a satire of, uh, you know, uh, a a bigger star and uh, who they are inside versus externally and and all of that. So, And even if it would have been 100% Jackie Chan, it helps that Jackie Chung is hilarious because he's such a game actor and he is, you know, the silliest of silly and he has his little journey of the fact that About the fact that he's parted so much that he's forgotten his martial arts. And that's going to change towards the end. And uh, no, Jackie is a pop star. That means that he's an actor too. But he's a pop star. And you wouldn't blame him for just showing up and being a little bit on. But as you know, Mike, from this viewing or previous viewings, Jackie Chung is on. And he's not ashamed about portraying this uh, character that's possibly Jackie Chan in the most stupid, silliest of ways. And I I find that irresistible. I find that irresistible. Whatever he does, whenever he shows up and tries to be suave, and, you know, he looks like a dork as well. Uh, Jackie is a handsome man. But here, whenever he tries to be suave, like with the ladies, he's a dork. He's a complete dork. And the the ladies are all around because uh, he's famous, man. And that, that's it. So, uh, uh, and he doesn't look like much of a charismatic movie star in the movie when they portray these uh, Bruce Lee style um, scenes that uh, he's been part of, uh, that he's been uh, part of with the nunchucks and everything. So he doesn't really look like Jackie Chan aside from that silly stunt, which I have in my notes. Otherwise, it's a Bruce Lee character, really. Uh, but the, I, I I I find him uh, totally um, on board. Uh, it, it's, it's a bit of a legendary comedic performance That uh, if uh, things were fair, he should have been nominated for that for, for this one because he is on it is, uh, this this uh, Jackie Chung. Any notes on uh, on the actor? I don't know how familiar you are with him uh, uh, outside of this movie.
1: You know he's been around a long time, and as you said, he is really on, and he plays it extremely well. You know, it's a it it, it is a satirical piece, but he is a good actor, especially when you compare it when he is with something like when he was in Bullet in the Head, which was like a lot darker, and then he 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 gets to show his range for like playing real slapstick zany style comedy in mm-hmm. this film, and uh, it's it's one of those things that it, it either would work really well. Or it wouldn't work. And luckily, it absolutely works fantastically.
0: You know what's amazing? Like, you, you could put a, a lesser actor uh, and to have hi- him or her do the same shtick, and it could have, as you said, just been completely, essentially annoying. But there, there's something sharp here in how Jackie approaches the material and ha- sort of the tone and frequency of his silliness. And, um, it, it, it's, it's rather skillful, to be honest. And uh, you can put that on Wong Jing, but sometimes Wong Jing didn't get the best out of his performance at all. Uh, but uh, there's... Um, I don't know. <laughs> Maybe he's fueled a little bit by his uh, vindictive sort of, like, I hated working with Jackie. I'm, I'm, I'm going to direct the shit out of this performance. <laughs> so who knows how uh, hard he worked with Jackie on, on, on the performance. Anyway, we, uh, I'm sure we have some notes on him, but uh, it's, it's a Hard movie, yes, but it's, it's not really... Trying to be that hardcore. It's a little bit lighter and uh, sillier in tone. I mean, we, we see these uh, terrorists that in the initial uh, scene where the bus blows up and his kid dies and all of that. And they're, they're the terrorists that groom themselves before they uh, pursue anyone, right? Like they, they they try to look their best. So you don't feel um, it's not the Hans Gruber style, shit your pants. Kind of terrorists here. They're they sort of goofing. Uh, ben Lam is grooming himself, and Billy Chow has this long mane of hair, and they're they're looking their best <laughs> before they uh, go out and uh, and uh, perform these uh, killing acts that take part uh, takes place in the in the opening and all of that. Um, and and the movie also opens in classical Hong Kong fashion because we sort of know it's a comedy. It opens seriously. Jet Li's wife and kid dies, and then three, two, one goofiness he's frankie <laughs> he's frank and i mean you, you you're used to that with uh, both these modern movies and kung fu movies that the you, you know things can start out seriously you can you you can count do a countdown waiting for the switch to goofy like do, 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 and there's your goofy kung fu hero i'm sure you're familiar with that structure whether you like it or not uh, in in every movie
1: right yeah, it's it, it's it's one of those things that you become, like, used to, you know, once you've watched, like, a, a few of them, and it's this, and sometimes people that have never watched these sort of films before, they don't get the fact that it can change, literally, scene by scene, you know, death and violence one minute, you know, goofy slapstick the next, and, and so forth, I do... You know, I've got used to them, and as you said, it is expected that they, that they have these moments of uh, silly comedy, and it's all, 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 you know, all, all bawdy comedy in certain places, playing to like the the, the galleries and whatever. So it's uh, it's a, it's a staple of Hong Kong films, isn't it?
0: And and Wong Jing knew how to play the commercial game, and and especially in the nineties, did it really, really well. Granted, High Risk wasn't his biggest box office hit of. Um. Of The 90s, I mean, uh, it took in like 11 million yi uh, 11 million Hong Kong dollars, comparatively uh, compared to like uh, the God of Gamblers sequel, which took in like 52 million. So it, it wasn't his biggest hit um, uh, as such, but uh, it's one of the more fun Wong Jing movies, uh, I would say. It's one of the more fun, fun Wong Jing Koryun Yun Tak movies because, uh, as you also know, uh, most of the time. And especially in the case of Wong Jing, he wasn't there directing action. That, that's how the industry was structured, anyway. That the action director or directors calls the shots. It's their set now. So, uh, and the narrative director does his or her thing um, when when called upon. So um, it, it shows because I've, I've never seen Wong Jing as an action visionary as such. He, he was surrounded by people who were visionary in terms of action. And uh, I'm sure we'll get to all of that. And, and, and by the way, I forgot to say, in 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 terms of uh, f- theorizing, how uh, how did Jackie feel about all of this if he ever had like a public reaction towards high risk? And regardless if it did, and again, I think it's a sl- slight nod towards him, also slight nod towards diva actors in general. I think Jackie's a big boy. And he 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 could take that hit without um, feeling like diminished or like his his confidence would wouldn't drop just because Wong Jing made fun of him. So, so I think he, in the end no one really was harmed uh, doing this stuff or blacklisted uh, doing this stuff. But, and 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 there's also like the, the reason I, I don't think it's full on. I'm making fun of Jackie is that he he takes um, traits from Bruce Lee. He doesn't take certain traits from Jackie, like uh, the fact that uh, he he doesn't portray Frankie as as a director, as someone uh, creatively in control of all of that. Uh, uh, but he treats him like uh, like a silly drunk at points. So it's not sharp parody, Mike. But I think also the more the movie runs, the less I I at least uh, thought about Jackie. I just looked at this very silly. Silly die-hard die movie with a with a strangely appealing performance by by Jackie Chung, looking mostly like Bruce Lee. That's what I thought. Like initially a little bit Jackie, the rest of it, you know, Bruce Lee and um, and a satire of a movie star.
1: Yeah, it's uh, it's funny because when I when I did it's it's funny it's funny you saying that about. Uh. What did Jackie Chan think of it when it came out? Because I was watching, I was thinking, how did they get away with doing this? You know. Uh, but as you said, obviously J- Jackie's a big boy. You know, probably the biggest Hong Kong star ever. And uh, you know, people probably argue with me there. But but there was a time where he was the number one guy. Sure. And uh, as you said, it's it's probably not even going. It wasn't even going to dent his. Uh, his reputation or his stardom I and mean, he obviously can take a joke uh but as you said it's it is sort of spoof of him but uh, jackie chung's nose isn't quite as big as jackie channel so i think <laughs> that's be, that, i mean if he would wanted to he, he could have given him like a serrano de bergerac type <laughs> uh, prosthetic mm, i think that's jackie now <laughs> yeah yeah so so you know but uh it, it, it was uh I've, I've got to be brutally honest it's you know over twenty years old i have never watched it until recently cause there was quite a few films that I think Jet Lee made at that time was it like the Bodyguard from Beijing. For sure,
0: w- w- worked a lot with Yun, uh as well, uh, both uh, Wong Jing and Coriun. So, uh, and I haven't seen that entire run either. I haven't seen Bodyguard from Beijing and uh, another movie or two in there. So he he worked a lot, and uh, I have some notes on on sort of a s- switch in Jet's persona because we know him more as uh, Wong Fei Hong. But I uh, I wanted to single out. I think the moment where I realized the the, the movie, I think, is going to get the tone really right is the uh, stunt sequence where they're they're filming a stunt and the media is filming the stunt as well. Uh, And uh, the whole conceit is that uh, Frankie is going to perform it himself, but he's hung over and they have a stunt double lined up and that is actually his bodyguard. And the the moment where they do the jump, i.e. Jet does the jump, and then when Wong Jing cuts to Jackie Chung running really fast down the stairs, <laughs> that, that, that cuts to him in the stairs. like It's such a stupid plan, right? And how they get away with it, he just sort of runs into the crowd and then jumps up like it was he that hit the mattress. And hello, I did it. It's almost like day his management and him have been doing this for so long that they don't realize how transparent they are because who would f- who in their right mind would fall for this obviously the media caught glimpses of it's actually not him uh, it's a plot point but uh that was the moment for me when i realized i think the movie's energy is gonna be all right when, when we see it, when we see him running really fast down the stairs if you if you remember the
1: yeah that uh, that's right as you said it's uh they're all crowded, and then, as you said, up he pops. Oh, you know, it was—it just adds to the zanyness of the film. I think, you know, as you said, when he runs down the stairs, and then just appears. Oh, here I you said, who'd fall for that?
0: And then and, and and the scene also in the dubbing studio, I think is uh, like uh, bell number two going off. Uh, in terms of, I think the movie is going to get the tone right. Uh, do you remember that scene? Uh, do you want to make any notes on that uh, the dubbing scene? Because they all, all obviously do post dubbing, not sync sound, even in the movie. Obviously, they're going to have to do a dubbing afterwards.
1: I, I did like that bit actually, because like my wife was in the room when it was on i was like watching i was going, that's good that that's a nice little scene He's showing them doing the the, the post dubbing which is how they, they did it for years until sync sound and I, that was really funny when that cop appeared and he started whoa, 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 and the blokes go oh this is great oh, <laughs> great <brilliant>. dialogue <laughs> great it was a really
0: funny little scene it all comes down to the fact that you might not come up with the greatest gag in the world, but you, you have to get the tone right, and uh, that's a nice little um, surprise, even though it, it sounds like a random object to place in the scene. Why don't we have a cockroach in the scene? And he, scree- and he screams like, go to hell! And hits it. I don't know. to do For the movie, they, they have to do it sort of in a visually interesting setting, but I, I chuckle at the fact that they're not doing the dubbing in a soundproof studio booth. <laughs> just sitting there at the mixer, mixer, boom, yeah. mixer table, and doing the doing the voices straight into the microphone with all the room ambience around it. But uh, hey, that's just a little a little thing that amused me. I I wasn't taken taken out of the movie because it's a little thing that amused me. There's some action hints uh, fairly early on, uh, which means uh, Jet Li is gonna get um, get a showcase. We we'll get a brief skirmish with uh, Billy Chow initially, which is it's a modern movie, but it's still wire assisted but there, there, there's plenty of uh, physical um, showcases uh, here um, whether um, kicking or gunplay and uh, it, it's a rather varied package which, I, uh, which I'm which i sure I'll, I'll have some notes on uh, later on but I wanted to throw back to you uh, any particular uh, like or even dislike in terms of how action is um, portrayed here, thinking uh, fight action for, for instance, is that uh, something the movie does well you think?
1: I really was impressed with the action i thought it was extremely well done when, when, when you think i mean it was you and Tapp that did it obviously but but when, when you think that what sort of budget they'd have compared with like a us film one of their blockbusters and the quality of the action that they managed always to come up with is uh exceptional and i thought the the scene i mean the scene with the helicopter when they float that was just great you know, people being cut in half by router blades and stuff is brilliant.
0: It's a highlight because um, of uh, editing and special effects but when that helicopter crashes into uh, uh, into that uh, room and starts spinning in the room, as you said. It's uh, it's probably the highlight of... Um, because you, you think that, yeah, they did well. Oh, they're going to do more. Oh, they're gonna do more. The thing keeps spinning. Stuntmen keep falling down, and as you said, people are cutting half. And uh, it's pretty crazy what they do on 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 a fairly limited uh, budget. It it's quite a also a, quite a um, fairly creative movie. in terms of special effects. There's some miniature work uh, being used here. So it's it's really it's ambitious in a way too. But I think you're right. It's not working with the greatest budget, and they just have to rely on their creativity, which is certainly shows up in the fight action. I mean if you just think back on Jet Lee's fight with Ben Lam, which eventually involves this um, electric um, uh, rod that presumably held held the spotlights or whatever, and there's still sparks that come off that thing as Jet hits Ben Lamb and so forth. Uh, which is probably my favourite fight scene because uh,
1: you don't expect it
0: necessarily. It's not old hat, this this stuff.
1: No, it isn't, and I was literally just going to come in with that scene, and uh, and you you beat me to the punch. It was—I thought it was—it was like he's using that what the remnant of a lighting rig, isn't he? Like a a, a long pole with the. And I just thought it was really, really clever that fight scene and the way he was using it. To just said all the sparks are flying, then he cuts it in half, and he's got like two sticks sorts of thing. I thought it was really, really well done, and it should be because you did the action
0: and 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 also you you have seen Jetley and the, the period efforts and flying around on wires and it, it's sort of a nice uh, if you haven't seen i mean I, I i i don't think this was his first modern outing but if you haven't seen jetley and his physicality in a modern setting that, there there's certainly highlights here that despite being largely overcranked uh, or, or undercranked right um it, it's a little bit sped up the, the creativity really shines and his um, regardless of how much jet had to be doubled because i i think he was still uh, struggling with uh, having broken his ankle um, a few years earlier on Once Upon a Time in China, but his physicality mixes well with the modern style because they aren't asking him to do Wong Fei Hong kung fu. He's essentially doing gunplay, but he he comes from the tradition of wushu, so he, he adds that physical element to the film. I thought, and I I always thought that was um, very compelling during this time. That the jet uh, jet moves, you know, regardless of how much. It hurts moving.
1: He still moves. Yeah, he, he did extremely well in, in it. I mean, as you said, I, I, I always wondered whether that, you know, ankle-breaking once upon a time in China had uh, hindered him longer than just the time that they spent on that film, and obviously did, because if you remember, he was doubled by Hung Yang Yan in that film, wasn't it? It was extremely well done, and they do use his attributes, for, you know, for, like, his spinning kicks and his rolling and... uh you know, just a general physicality, so, and and he could still it could still perform that stuff. I mean, doubling obviously, but every you know when when you look at it, you know, even when Sammo and other people like that, they were doubled in scenes as well. So it's it's something that took, they've always done. Yeah,
0: and and they're they're very skilled at it anyway. It's not uh, like uh, well, there 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 are key moments in Hong Kong cinema overall, but there are very few where have a doubling. It really shows up as like the most sloppy thing ever. Like this thing uh, kick that Cynthia Rothrock does in writing wrongs, and they cut to Yum Biu in a dress with no wig on. Right? So it's like, come on, guys, that's Yum Biu. That's not Cynthia. Like, not even a. They didn't even spray his hair or anything. Like, so they, they, they get it wrong every now and again. But I mean, even in the latter scene, which I'm sure we'll talk of in a little bit, uh, Jackie Chung's. Final fight with Billy Chow, I thought was exceptionally well doubled. Uh, and, and also Jackie uh, participates in it a lot. Uh, but, but I'm getting ahead of myself. I wanted to mention, I mentioned gunplay. And I, I love, for me anyway, being, I don't know, I'm a giddy viewer sometimes. I love the fact that Wong Jing and the action team actually goes quite hardcore for um, for In terms of Blood. Uh, because when gunplay is involved, we get uh, bloody squibs and headshots and they, there's violence here. Which adds to that theme we talked of, that it's a Hong Kong movie. <laughs> now, in, in one scene, Wong Jing ching me and stuff, being silly. And in
1: another scene, someone gets hardcore shot in the head. Yeah, that, that bit, I can't remember the, the actress's name, but she she gets about five or six rings in the face. Yeah, that's um,
0: we, we'll we'll keep it spoiler free actually because it is towards the end of the movie. But uh, one day we won't. Um, yes, yes. So we'll, we'll we'll keep it spoiler free. But you're right that that's uh just um, it's not a little pow, but uh, like a bum, 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 bum. Death. And uh, it's all it's all fun. The, the 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 only thing that Jet can't really bring, but it's not really his fault. is uh you know if he's in a gunplay role, the only thing he can bring in terms of that is a great piece of physicality to the role, but he's obviously no Chai and Fat in terms of the acting charisma, but uh it, it, it still works for, for this uh, for this role and, and I'm actually glad uh, to, talking of acting that Jet developed into... He he showed signs in Once Upon a Time in China. Ha gave him some moments. But he really developed, I think, into a great understated actor. And uh, if people see Danny the dog, that's an example. But uh, if you haven't seen it, uh, the mainland movie Ocean Heaven is something to behold in terms of Jet in a straight, dramatic role. And I thought he did really well there and didn't resort to melodrama. Yeah, so, well, I, I liked a little surprise of the... Um, the fact that the, the seemingly wimpy cop with glasses is actually able, and he, he isn't killed off uh, immediately, but he's actually very able. He's uh, he's this unexpected Chiang Fat style action hero. Is the um, the boyfriend of Charlie Young's character, uh, like a cop that's uh, in the uh, ballroom and all of that. Uh, so I thought that was um nice, defy expectations kind of. Uh, kind of moment uh, for the movie. Like, for once, something really clever came out of uh, uh, Wong Jing's uh, thinking, rather than, you know, uh, the expected. uh. Because uh, you you can quote Jackie Chung's various silly gags, but there's so many of them even simple dialogue gags because he just comes at it with this silly voice! I'm talking like this! Hello, I'm Frankie! And uh, he's running around in his underpants throughout the stretch of the movie, so... You know, again, no, not uh, not inspired, but he makes it work because he brings the energy.
1: <coughs> Excuse me, he, uh, he 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 does, and the, 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 as you said, the geeky cop. He, he reminded me a lot of Ridley Toy, the stuntman and the action actor. Okay, you know, he did, just how, like how he was dressed and his his glasses and his hair, and I, I thought he was like looked a dead ringer for Ridley. But you're right, and I was going to mention the the scene about when he loses his fucking trousers. <laughs> Oh, that was ridiculous. My wife watched it and she says, "What did I just say there?" She said, "What are you laughing at?" I said, "This is I said, this is obviously you know Hong Kong style comedy." So when that guy gets falls through that door and he's got his hand on his crotch, yeah,
0: it's the initial scene where the terrorists are are shooting wildly and the the guy who's dying obviously dies and his death grasp <laughs> is uh on Frank's <laughs> dick. <laughs>
1: I was really still laughing at that eh. And when the like Billy Chase trying to or is it Ben Lamb's trying to pull him up and then he comes up with just this pair of trousers still in his hand, that was really funner.
0: And and he doesn't wear like uh, like uh, uh the underwear of a man or anything, he's got his long johns on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We we chose he he you know Jackie isn't precious about his image uh, Jackie Chan, so he's all game for running around being silly and looking silly and being dressed in uh, silly and running around uh, running around in his underpants and you gotta respect that because I don't think you can assume that every actor out there globally is um, gonna say automatically yes to to these kind of things but I think in Hong Kong at this time in particular in, in the eighties I think there was um, a little bit more of a gung ho aura and everybody knew that. It's likeable commercial stuff, like you you won't be chastised by your female fans or your male fans for for that matter if you run around
1: in your underpants not looking your best. It can't look any more ridiculous than he did in Future Cops anyway, can he? So, you know what
0: I mean? he's got He's got mighty hair, which uh, <laughs> someone like me is jealous of. Like, that volume. I wish I, wish I had that volume for my hawk. <laughs> any other particular action highlights you want to just uh, single out, or should we talk a little bit about uh, the um, almost climactic Billy Chow-Jackie Chung fight? Because it it is rather... Um, Unexpected, how for me, how, how well they use uh, Jackie Chung in that uh, fight and the stuntman in between. Uh, what do you want to mention spontaneously about uh, about this uh, about this fight that, again, looks nothing like a Jackie Chan fight. It's all Bruce Lee. For some bizarre reason, Billy Chow needs to fight. He needs to fight Jackie Chung, and you have to wear this.
1: <laughs> wear that jumpsuit, that's it, yeah.
0: <laughs> Which I thought was just like... It's almost like he's been dreaming of this for years, and uh, almost in a perverted way. Like I want to fight you if you wear this, (laughs) which is uh, the Bruce Lee jumpsuit, obviously. Uh, But uh, what else do you want to say about uh, that uh, fight scene?
1: Extremely well performed, well filmed, and extremely well edited, especially with the with the use of doubles. It was a great fight scene, uh, using every bit of furniture in the room the staircase the grand piano all the you know ornamentation all that sort of stuff how do you think they used jackie chung because they ask him to perform some martial arts here it's
0: not just a little bit of blocking here and there but they ask him to perform some stuff here
1: uh extremely well i mean he he, he did extremely well in it and i'm just keep repeating that he he uh considering he's not a trained fight performer what he pulls off, is, is fantastic, and he should. If I had a hat, I'd take it off too, because he did an extremely well job. But as, uh, the choreographers obviously will be aware of what he can perform, and they'll get him to do that and more. You know, more difficult stuff. Obviously, they'll they'll use doubles. But
0: the double was excellent because they show the double from the side most of the time, but but they still use just the pitch perfect angles to conceal. The double's face so you don't get that jolt of like double jackie double jackie it's it's very seamless and, and i don't know if it's hard to learn i'm sure it is but that um twirling with the rope that jackie does around the neck i don't know what it's called that technique but um uh, he he does that rather seamlessly and uh, i can imagine if that goes wrong you're just gonna smack yourself in the face if that uh rope or whatever hits you in the face uh.
1: Well, he'd obviously done a bit of practice. The, the the technical term for that, mate, is called route twirling. Right on. And, uh, it's not; a, it's a literal term. <laughs> <laughs> it is. Yeah, it is what uh, it is. Uh, <laughs> but the thing is, as well, it's like anybody watching these films for the first time, they weren't now just... In like maybe one instance, they might notice it was obviously double, but they're very rare because they're not sad fuckers like me and you and I don't watch these films <laughs> hey, all the time. Hey, you right. watch it. <laughs> And we can watch it and think, oh, there's the double, there's the double, there's the double. And a lot of the time you can identify who's doing the doubling. But uh, as you said, it was extremely well done and it, it was... Unless you'd know that a double was actually used. You'd think it was uh, Jackie Chung doing the whole fight. And I mean, it's, it was extremely well shot. They,
0: they managed to argue that he actually stands a chance against Billy Chow, which is a fantastic uh, skill in itself. Because uh, Billy Chow is a, is a dangerous fucker when, uh, when on screen and uh, fighting like this, you know.
1: Oh, come on, he couldn't even beat Samo. He was a fat bloke. Come on.
0: <laughs> uh, so I, I fully agree it's a centrepiece of the movie, and I love the little bit where he's... Uh, when Billy Chow keeps hitting uh, him on the uh, arms with the uh, nunchucks, and he says, no pain, no pain, no pain, no pain, and then at the end of the shot, he looks at his arms, and he's no got t- tons <laughs> of lumps. Ah, it hurts! <laughs> Oh boy, yeah, it, it it's really fantastic, and um, the 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 mixture is so pitch perfect in terms of mixing doubles and Jackie. Uh, even the the sort of HD looking print that's on Netflix, even that didn't make it very obvious. So uh, a well uh, a well job, uh, uh, good job by everybody all all round. So he he sort of steals the attention away from Jet even fight wise a little bit, Jackie, which uh, which which is what I'm saying that this. I mean they might have nominated him, mean, who knows but I think it's one of those performers that I, I've, this is elevated, this is more than you'd expect out of a Die Hard knockoff which it, it, which it in reality is and it does sort of semi-well as one uh, Hong, the Hong Kong standards are high here, even though it wouldn't have been able to compete with Die Hard because if People who love Die Hard, who were not familiar with Hong Kong movies, saw this movie, and the moods and the silliness and the action it portrays, they would be, as you said, rather perplexed. Like, what's this? <laughs> like Who who edited together three or four movies into one? But you and I are used to that, those uh, tropes and those uh, switcheroos in in mood, so I guess we're desensitized
1: or we just like it. I, I, it's I, As well as you, you're watching like American and British, you know, movies and that and all be serious all the way through, unless it's, you know, it's going to be a comedy or a black comedy, so there will be instances, but like your general action flick, there might be like little jokes in it like there is in Die Hard and stuff like that or something like Commando and what have you, but not to the extreme zany silliness that, that you get in films made in Hong Kong.
0: Yeah, it's it's sort of the it's a com- comforting energy that a movie like High Risk yeah, presents. It's one of those movies that um, and even Future Cops. I've been on record saying I don't like Future Cops. I think I, I'm more tol- I, I tolerate it a lot more because it, 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 there's a tone that's just um, uh, sometimes irresistible and uh, very Hong Kong, very era specific, and very creative too. Um, so so it, it, it it's 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 comfort for It's it's an easy watch. Uh, re, it really is a, whether future cops or high risk, depending on the viewer you are. Because I'm sure there are people who watch high risk and think it's it's a piece of crap because um, you know he's making fun of Jackie. I don't like that. And 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 that Jackie Chung performance is is too much. And that would be okay. But I I I think he steals the movie.
1: Definitely. It it's it's a funny one because I mean I watched it and I thought well. Jackie Chung. it was a Jackie Chung film really, because he, he stole the show really, and like Jet Li was just like incidental to the that, that's the way I saw it anyway even though he's the first one you see and It, it is, and it's also
0: that contrast of uh, Jet is not the comedic uh, presence in this movie he's the uh, stoic, sort of straight presence, and, and that's all fine but, but I actually like that they really share um, share highlights in the movie yeah, in, in their own way, uh, definitely.
1: Yeah, and there's a good little bit at the end when they're uh, interviewing him and he's saying, oh, actually, we, we're going to make a film. My next film is going to be based on this. We're going to call it Meltdown or whatever. And I think, yeah, that's quite funny. It's a, it's a
0: kind of humour that Wong Jing yeah. Uh, sure is tickled by uh, when he uh, he goes meta and references stuff that's happening and now he's referencing stuff that's happening as he's creating them as well your mileage may vary (laughs) but uh, during this era uh,
1: most of it is pretty pretty funny can't i talk about some more characters in it that get killed or, or, or do you rather not give away spoilers? Because I think you're far too nice to your listeners by not providing spoilers. If they're not watching these films, it serves them right, is the way I see it.
0: Well, I I I hear your point, but there are some actually surprising deaths in this movie. I mean, our bad guy gets taken care of, of course, but in a surprising manner. So I'm that was not... really
1: that was that, I really like that. That was really good the way they did it.
0: Yeah. Because you don't, uh, you know, the way the, di- the villain dies in Die Hall, yeah, that's we- we've seen that, but I haven't necessarily seen in ten thousand other movies the way Jet disposes of the villain in this movie. So I'll, that's we can keep that spoiler-free. Uh, I'll I'll give you the uh, the ladies uh, uh, the ladies' death if you want to talk about that again. <laughs> I'll, I'll give you that if you want to talk about about that again. She's Valerie Chow, by the way. She is. Uh, <laughs> Femfotol as a uh, great femme Fatale, because uh, she she has the sort of violent attitude uh, about her yeah. She's he's not this uh, frail little butterfly or anything.
1: It was extremely violent the way she was dispatched yeah. it was like oh my god the back of her head's just exploded out jesus
0: yeah, they, uh, they pull no punches, which is, uh, the, the contrast that I like versus, uh, versus the silliness and every other, every other element. Um, and, and sometimes you'd want your bad guys or bad ladies, um, to meet a deadly end, and then some, and that's uh, certainly what uh, what they did to Valerie Chow here. And it, it's a fine effect because we we get the big spl- uh, splattery style squibs, and the, obviously the puppet uh, having yeah. the squibs rigged up on it. And those technically that all works, man. It's not this obvious. Cut to this barely clothed mannequin or anything, right? Like they, they, they match, is, is my point, yeah. which, uh, which I dig. So uh, she's great. Uh, she's in, um, in Choi Hawks the Blade as well. I remember she's been, been very uh. effective in that one. So she, obviously, she, she's been sort of used for her sexuality to a degree in movies Uh, she's not a uh, pornographic actress not at all but uh, she the 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 femininity and the sexuality sort of plays into this role as well because she's acting like oh my god frankie save me and frankie is so chuffed (laughs) you stay with me young lady i'll save you and you know she just thinks he's full of shit (laughs) and uh, she just wants to dispatch him
1: (laughs) like that that, that she's got that machete and uh, she, every time he turns his back, she goes to hit him with it, and like a body will fall out of a cupboard and knock her hand away. And you know, that was really clever. that was really well shot as well. That was really funny, and he was so ridiculously dumb. <laughs> and I think that that adds to the humour because he said, "I'll oh, look after you. Don't worry. Oh, you'll be okay with me." I've I've got my long johns on, young lady, so yeah. you'll be safe with me. <laughs> yeah, and you know, not thinking why she always got her arm behind the back. That seems a bit odd. Yeah.
0: He's he's Frankie man. He doesn't got that, he he doesn't have eyes for that kind of stuff. Um, I I actually forgot to um mention that. I think if they had portrayed Wu Ma's character who, who looks exactly like Jackie's dad in a more cartoony fashion, I think Jackie would have been more pissed. But as a matter of fact, Wu Ma's character, the father of Frankie, is sort of the voice of reason, and he he is critical of his son. And I thought that was, okay, Wong Jing, good of you to reel that in. Because you shouldn't go after family. Uh, so at least they got character traits that weren't, um, you know, dodgy. You
1: know what I mean? Yeah, and it's, just going back to that, they, they, there's a bit in that. And I thought, is Wong Jing trying to say something here? Because, you know, when they turn up to the opening night where all the jewels are are being displayed mm-hmm. and he's there and you see him with his his manager for charlie chow and he's like and charlie chow sort of like feels his ass did you see that bit I
0: forgot that for some reason but i wouldn't be surprised because that's charlie charlie chow
1: <laughs> and i was thinking and i thought he's wanting trying to say something here about mr Chan, or or is it just i don't know maybe i'm just Maybe I'm just, you know, maybe I'm trying to read too much into it.
0: Maybe they, he was going after Willie a little bit more uh, by portraying him as a bit uh, camp, yeah. camp. Um, because I, I, I'm sure Wong Jing had run-ins with Willie, and rather than uh, whatever J- Jackie's dad is called, uh, I don't know his name, English or otherwise. Who knows? It's so open to interpretation, I suppose. Uh, uh, but uh, yeah, Charlie, quite a dead ringer for, for Willie, I think. <laughs> uh so yeah i'm i'm i don't know but uh you, ha- you have the floor if you want to mention any other highlights you're, you're welcome to do so
1: now i'd just like to as you say people if you haven't seen it watch it it'll uh it'll pass uh 90 minutes extremely entertainingly and uh it's got loads of first-rate action in there and you, you i was pleasantly surprised and i think you will be too I very much agree, and uh, as for availability, it
0: has put out, been put out at least twice on DVD by Universe in Hong Kong. Uh, one DVD had burned in subtitles. One DVD was m- missing uh, some violence, and uh, well, that, that well, that DVD was missing some violence. And then the optional subtitle sort of semi semi remaster had had additional violence, like the ending headshot action that, that was there. It wasn't. In a past edition of the movie for whatever reason. This movie was originally mixed in Dolby Surround, which uh, is a mix that is on the Laserdisc. Um the remix on the DVD is from Mono 2 Surround, but I didn't spot any additional annoying effects as such. So uh, uh so, so it's okay to listen to it that way. But uh you can you can probably watch it uh, in the most um, smooth way possible and that is on streaming because uh, the version of the movie that went out internationally is known as Meltdown and uh, that was put out on DVD in a bilingual version meaning Cantonese and English and that can be found on Netflix in multiple regions including over here in Sweden uh, in the US and the UK. It has a new international credit sequence on that version as well as a new end credit sequence because they, they put uh, a song list there that's in the English dub uh, of the movie, but there there is a, um, a Cantonese uh, track that is uh, optional. Um, it might not be the default track when you start the Netflix stream, but if you just um, uh, fiddle about with the audio settings, you'll find that's a Cantonese uh, option there. The subtitles, I'm pretty sure, are based on a dub, but um, to be honest, I didn't uh, really notice any particular particularly weak Uh, subtitling because I watched it on on Netflix as well Uh, uh, you know the the only thing that sort of uh, was changed I suppose is that scene where he talks of uh, my next movie is gonna be Meltdown you know so that that was uh, adjusted in terms of cuts, I'm, I don't think there's many, because it essentially is the same runtime as the Hong Kong DVD, but I know for a fact the one edit that it uh, did have, and I expected this uh, to be gone for international versions, is the um, very silly gag in the toilet involving a uh, Little Boy's penis. That was uh, when uh, when Frankie is having a leak and a uh, little boy is having a pee as well, and uh, they uh, you see different streams there, one stream being more stronger than the other, and you see a little boy's penis uh, there on the screen. That's in the Hong Kong version. Expectedly, that shot is not in the international international version. So there's your, your cultural difference in terms of uh, what what makes for commercial comedic cinema in uh, one part of the world. I swear, but I'm, I'm sure I'm wrong. The, uh, spoiler, death of Charlie Cho's character in the, on the Netflix version it, it, it's, it takes place off-screen and you just hear him fall out the window presumably. Ah, I, I can swear that was on-screen in the Hong Kong version, a dummy of sorts but again, I, I, I might be totally wrong. It's one of those things that the movie's graphic anyway, so why wouldn't they show that? Uh, it almost seems like it is a very cheap solution to get Charlie out of the movie. But, uh, but hey, I'm, I might be wrong. I'm, I'm going to rewatch the movie some at some point in the future, so I'll I'll revisit that moment.
1: I, I've not seen the Hong Kong one, so I wouldn't know if there was a
0: a dummy or not nah, yeah it's just uh this time around it just felt uh, like everybody was watching something on screen something uh something oh oh my god something big is happening on screen and we just say <laughs> uh they had the resources to do the dummies and miniatures and the explosives so we surely know that maybe they ran out of money by that point so charlie had to have an off-screen death who knows could be yeah there we are my friends so uh, we're gonna take a promo break and after that we'll return to discuss return to the 36th chamber lao Golan sequel to the iconic 36th uh, chamber of Shaolin. and as i said this time it's funny so we'll explain why that is and how they uh how they saw the sequel and how they executed the sequel so uh sit tight and uh, we'll be back
2: g'day mates this has been from the asia mania podcast We have three episode formats with our four different hosts. The original format show is myself and Freddie. We do like to talk some news, what we've been watching and playing, what's happening in the world of professional wrestling. We do a quiz and we finish off by reviewing an Asian film together. Then there's the show I do with Ray, which is the music format show. And it's it's just the same as the other one, except we uh, review an Asian album instead of film. And finally is Dot Points, which is hosted by myself and Dari, where we pick two films each month and we, uh, we try to work it around a theme. We've had a musical episode, we have a horror episode, you know, you sort of get what that's about. But it's not necessarily Asian anymore. It started off as an Asian thing with her, but it's not anymore. So, yes, that's uh, the Asia Mania podcast for an iTunes, Stitcher, uh, Facebook. Uh, Twitter is at Asia Mania Pod. Please check us out.
0: And welcome back and the second review of this episode is Return to the 36th Chamber from 1980, the sequel to Return, uh, the 36th Chamber of Shaolin, of course. Uh, It's not the sequel to the Return so it's not the Return Return. Anyway, plot from the Hong Kong Digital Review of the film and it goes as follows. Bossed around by Manchu thugs and denied a proper wage for their work, the employees of the Chiang Tai dye mill enlist the service of a rogue Chu, or Chao, played by Gordon Liu, passing himself off as Sante with a little behind the scenes help to enhance his non existent Kung Fu abilities. Uh, Chao tries to scare the Manchus into restoring the workers' salaries, however, the charade comes to an abrupt end when he is forced to face off against evil boss Wang, played by Johnny Wang. A uh, true martial arts master. Humiliated by his defeat, Chao tries to get into the Shaolin Temple so that he may actually learn some Kung Fu. He is even less successful at fooling the monks, but the real Sante, this time played by Li Chu, because Gordon Liu. He's playing someone else, so he can't play Sante. Uh, But Sante takes pity on him, allowing Chao to stay on and work. While erecting bamboo scaffolding around various uh, buildings in the temple, Chao observes the students practicing and comes up with his own equivalent training using construction materials. So, quite a um, different... uh, One, it's not the sequel to to the story of Sante, but... uh, no one I think could have expected this storyline to come up in the sequel, which is kind of I think the maker's points and uh, and, and it goes in line with my sh- short opinion. Return to the First Six Chamber is how to execute an expected genre movie in an unexpected way and it's really also a more difficult choice to do a follow-up uh, you, they clearly went into a think tank and came up with something way, way different and something also that's more uh, tinted uh, towards uh, the comedy overall, and I think it's more admirable that way. And I think it's a very very funny movie, uh, funny in a way where it's uh, amusing and entertaining, and not this laugh riot. But uh, it's um, it's admirable uh, the way they went about their business in this one. But the, that's my short opinion for now. Uh, in short, Mike, uh, what do you want to say about the return to
1: the 36th chamber? Classic film. And I agree with what you've said. I mean, the the day could have gone straight to a direct sequel with uh, Leo Garfay playing Sandat again, but I thought it was a nice change from the norm, the way they actually did the sequel. And I I think it works really well and it stands up really well today. We we might as well just
0: briefly go into um, a very slight recap of uh, what we thought of the first movie the 36th chamber of Shaolin. so you, you have the floor like uh, off the cuff uh, uh, is it a full-on classic for you or one of many uh, many like good to great movies by lao Long? i'm not asking you to do a list or anything but uh what's your spontaneous thoughts on
1: when thinking back on the first one it's a genre classic it, it, it's one that everybody knows about you know that the, everybody's seen it Pretty much now now it's available in its entirety on d v d and what have you uh, it 's still a classic film of the genre and it 's one that i I still watch it a couple of times a year it's It's just one of those things that I find on I revisit and it never gets stale or boring
0: no and isn 't it amazing that it doesn 't because it 's filled with all the tropes of the genre, but I guess that 's kind of the point if you have a good kung fu filmmaker at at the helm, then even hundreds of similar movies. After and since, then the one at the top, is not going to feel like uh, bothersome or boring just because we've seen the tragedy, we've seen the revenge, we've seen the kung fu training and uh, the understanding of uh, how to achieve higher learning, the Buddhist way, and all of that. So, to, to me, it never bores, but because it's a really cinematic to uh, Everyone who tried to imitate it, they didn't have, they weren't loaded personally with. That cinematic thinking that Lao Gaolong clearly was. Because, as I've always said, I think I said it the first time we were on the same show together Lao Gaolong is a filmmaker and not this guy who, sh- who just did action. Or, uh, so so he had the filmmaking instinct in him already by uh, by The 36th Chamber of Shaolin. And uh, I mean, he'd done like four or five movies by that point. So he was. Um, uh, he was uh, ready for it and and it made a cultural splash of course and uh, had ripples in the music industry I mean I don't know anything about the Wu-Tang clan but I know 36 Chamber of Shaolin was one of the movies that clearly sort of inspired them to uh, adapt monikers and um, and sample the movie maybe in certain songs and all of that so the the cultural splash was uh, certainly evident that in movies like the Five Venoms uh, made cultures, uh, a cultural splash and um, so but, but but you know thankfully it was a good movie that made a cultural splash and not this uh hokey cheesy movie that some people liked you know thankfully it's good
1: yeah it's yeah and as you said a big influence on the wu-tang clan and you know uh, and and a lot of the other films i mean you know uh, the the guys in wu-tang clan, i mean you've got one called method man and gauss face killer they're all from kung fu films so that's the that's a big influence and I do agree with what you said because c- 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 before you you, you you mentioned about a kung fu filmmaker. And I was gonna I was gonna jump in and say he's a filmmaker, but you've already covered that. And I, and I think a lot of people need to realise that. Yeah, because the,
0: it it was um, like anonymous, like people who made certain of these movies, Shaw Brothers or not, they were clearly anonymous filmmakers. That but, but Lao Kar really, having been this action director for so long for uh, Changtien, you know, filmmaking started to brew him him either during that relationship or even earlier who knows but clearly it was there and he meant what he was saying he had a message he had a philosophy and it wasn't you know boring stuff his stale stuff because he could be as we we're talk- gonna talk about he could be funny and he knew how to entertain so so he wasn't this he didn't have a scholarly approach to kung fu on film because that would be um that would be sort of the counterproductive thing to do, wouldn't
1: it? Yeah, and I'm, I, that's a good point. And I, I, I think because his background from such a young age was kung fu anyway, and the fact that, I like the fact that a lot of these guys didn't go to film school, they learned... All their craft and skill set from working on films in whatever in whatever speciality they were doing, whether it was like on stunts or all of like fight choreography and all that sort of thing. So they're obviously they're obviously taking all of this stuff in, which then paid dividends when they started making their own films. And the thing about Lau Kar Lung as well, because he comes from a real kung fu background. And because he's got such a really good eye for detail. I mean, another one like that is Sam O'Hung, really. They know what will look really good on film and what won't, which isn't something that applies to everybody.
0: Oh, no, for sure. And and that actually leads to a second sort of discussion point before we get into Return, that. I don't know how the discussion went from you know at the top of Shaw Brothers, but clearly the the makers and, and the bosses and all of that, they, they one didn't decide to do a straight follow-up or a quick one, which is good, but Shaw Brothers had started to respond to the Kung Fu comedy industry standard that was set that was set by the independent which was seasonal, and the Jackie Chan movies, Drunken Master, Snake and Eagle Shadow, and all of that. So, you you would think, like, well, Shaw Brothers, they have high production standards, so they would be able to match the Kung Fu comedy. And in my experience, and and this is merely my opinion, that was something Shaw Brothers struggled with. But whenever they gave Lao Gar-Lung the task of doing Kung Fu comedy, it worked out a little bit better, and even a lot better. Uh, I think this is probably the better example of his Kung Fu comedies, because... As much as I like Mad Monkey Kung Fu... It's sort of flawed. It's also too long. I, My young auntie, I think... Uh, was a little, little bit overload. Ladies the Boss wasn't always clicking... But they, they, there's always good stuff, stuff in them, of course. But but my point is that... Out of the examples I've seen... Shaw Brothers do the various filmmakers... I don't think anyone really... Got got it right to the point where... when We are now setting a standard. But when they gave Lao... A chance to do Kung Fu Comedy... Then the uh, the Kung Fu filmmaker kicked in kicked into like another filmmaking instinct, which was comedy. And I mean you can look at Heroes of the East. There's some fun banter there, but, but it isn't this obvious Kung Fu comedy and, uh, uh, and so, so it wasn't this uh, his movies, the one I'm thinking of, the ones I'm thinking of in my head. They weren't these uh, oh yeah, tots. You know, tailored after Snake and Eagle Shadow. Uh, they they were their different beasts and uh, had a different vibe to them. So I thought give, when they gave Lao Garlong kung fu comedy, the odds of them uh, working versus uh, other Shaw Brothers examples, uh, those those odds were uh, it was better. It was a better chance that it w- was going to work. Uh, do, do you remember exploring Shaw Brothers kung fu comedy as such? Only Lau Garlong's movies that sort of spring to mind.
1: I would. I, I was going to take uh, take task and I would say Lao Garlong in my opinion, did kickstart it with Spiritual Boxer, although it was, it did precede, you know, the seasonal Jackie Chan films, and although it wasn't a big hit, it was still that mixture of, like, slapstick, slapstick comedy and the extremely, you know, high level of kung fu on screen. The,
0: the reason I didn't mention it, by the way, because you're 100% correct, is that I, I personally, but that doesn't mean you're wrong, but I personally didn't really like Spiritual Boxer as such. I thought, I know what he's going for, but it wasn't clicking. But I, I was coming at it from having, experiences his, having experienced his, his sort of five out of five productions, and Spiritual Boxer wasn't that, the sequel wasn't that either for me. So uh, it, uh, it, it, it tends to drown out in the discussion, so you're spot on in, in bringing it up, actually.
1: It's there's always that common thread through a lot of his films, like the little comedic sides, whether it's a serious film or not. But after rewatching this, I've I've I'm really really impressed with Leo uh comedic skills as well. No matter which films he's in, yeah, I, I was having a good chuckle today. I thought he was extremely good. But I, I, I think you know, spiritual boxer, the elements are there. The two seasonal films gave it a kick up the arse. And that was like, that. this is how they need to be from now on. And I think he's taken on board maybe what didn't work in Spiritual Boxer and added to his future films that he's made.
0: Like the only dips I can think of are those two Spiritual movies, because I think those didn't click. But my God, what a track record. To, and when I think back on My Young auntie and Lady as the Boss, it, it it's more uneven versus the great ones, but but they're way above the likes of Spiritual Boxer for me. You know, I can always look back on uh, on his movies with uh, uh, with you know delight in my mind and heart that uh, he never really dis uh, disappointed. It was only when he moved on to the non Shore Brothers stuff that you know quality was a little bit up and down, but. Um, Still, that's a, that's a discussion for another time. When when we get to Tiger on Beat and things like that. So as for Return to the First Six Chamber, I do dig how they set up this world because one, it's it's a it's a light frame. Yeah, it's a comedic frame. We get that, but it's the we, we get to experience uh, um, sort of hints that the monk Sante has made such an impact on the world through the first movie that we've gotten to the point where there would be imposters around, trying to cash in on the nationalistic and inspiring and heroic wave that Sante clearly represented. And they recast Gordon Liu... ...as the imposter, which is sort of amusing already from frame one... ...and then he starts to, to do his thing, which is great. But I'm sure Lao long and, and I'm saying sure, but um, I'm sure it was fun for them to go from maybe more strenuous filmmaking... ...and to have more fun for once, and because the movie feels a little bit relaxed. Uh, slightly smaller in scale, but fa- thanks to it positioning itself differently... with no national conflict but like a local conflict that makes it fun and uh, then Gordon Liu starts running the frame as this con man so I I have some notes on that but uh, I don't know if you had a sort of an impression of Gordon Liu as a comedic Performer before, but are there good instincts from the get-go from him? And then, as directed by Lau Galang, as he, as he uh, works his con and all of that, is that all fun from the beginning?
1: Yeah, um, I mean it's interesting because c- c- you know when he's got smaller roles in the earlier Chang Che stuff and with like more serious-based films, and then something like this comes out, and it it it, it is more uh, it it is more comedic than the previous film, and I don't mean Dirty How, I mean the previous uh, Thirty Six Chamber movie. I, I, I think he's exceptionally good at comedy, in it? And he, he, as he does prove in later years as well, in other films that he's done. I, I think there's one in uh, Ladies, the Boss as well. There's some nice little scenes in that which are really funny. You know, that bit when they're all dressed up like the village people walking through Hong Kong, I thought that was... Uh, it always makes me chuckle. I, I, I think what is with a lot of these, you know, you tend to see them in all these films and that, but I think what you need to realise is a lot of them are really, really good skilled actors. And can pretty much play anything really comedy, you know serious drama and exceptional action and uh, i I did really enjoy this because it was it was very amusing my, I've got to say my favorite my favorite performance in the whole film is Ho's book teeth
0: amazingly enough, not annoying that he has those
1: <laughs> yeah, I thought they were excellent. i want to see if I can get some online then I want to wear all the time.
0: <laughs> and 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 in this pc world that's gonna that's gonna backfire on you when you walk around town
1: <laughs> i hope so fuck the pc world it's all why, why, why are you making
0: fun of this i'm putting it on social media <laughs> yeah
1: and i'm gonna have a hairy mole as well Oh. just my for God. the hell of it and i might have some crutches so you never know who, who knows after this i'm gonna re-watch panty house hero by the way so
0: don't start quote, quoting subtitles on uh, when you're walking around on ta- on the top, but you, you know he he does you know he, they're not trying to reinvent comedy. he's asked to play this sort of snake oil merchant you know he's a con man, so he's gonna he's gonna sell the true medicine of Shaolin and it's all an act of course but he's he's good at that, and obviously he looks like a proper monk they they make no deal about the fact that he looks like Sante because in this movie the monk looks like. They act a Lee king Chu. So there's no like... You look familiar to me. And you, you don't need to do anything like that. But but I love when they... Uh, and it's not far into the movie either. Where I really knew that... Lau Golong and his team... They're onto something here. Because when he's hired... To intimidate Johnny Wang's thugs And all of that. There's some incredibly amusing sight gags. This killed me because... No one really... Like, maybe it's in the mythos that Sante can fly. Or maybe they just made it up to make him look more intimidating. But but he's actually in the movie, he's uh, lowering himself on a wire as his entrance in front of the man's shoes. And I've arrived. And when he's lowering himself onto the ground, he cuts his own wire.
1: With some pliers, yeah. exactly. And <laughs>
0: I love that angle because, in a way, you know that's going to fail. This is not... Foolproof um, skill because as soon as he gets into kung fu territory, he's screwed. And uh, and also I love when Gordon Liu, is, uh he you know he's weak for money, so he his face lights up when uh, when he is offered money and uh, he's going to do this. And uh, and his act is very transparent because he tries to walk in a big sort of broad way, like I've arrived now, and he's walking with broad steps and a broad posture and. No one's going to fall for that. You know that's going to be. It's so transparent. You know that's going to be flipped. And he has to go and regroup, as the plot said. But I think that sequence shows that the movie is onto something. Gordon is funny as hell. And uh, it's also way better than most kung fu comedies already. Uh, That's what I think. It's really a standout sequence, I think.
1: It is really really good. And I'm just thinking. Having looked at like the film posters at the time, how many people went to the cinema expecting him to be playing Santa when they get there they find out he isn't playing him? You know, it's it's quite because if you look at the posters, it's just him with a bald head, and you know people probably say, oh, he's back in playing Santa. We'll we'll we'll, we'll go and ever we'll go and watch that. So I'm just thinking, Mike, must have caught a few people out the fact that he wasn't actually playing that character from the previous Thirty Six Chamber film.
0: Was it that for you, do you remember?
1: Uh, No, because I'd read about it in one of Bay Logan's books, so I sort of knew that part of the plot, really. But it didn't stop me enjoying the film, because I knew it's a logar lung film, it's going to be full of exceptional martial arts, and it'll be a, a really good watchable movie anyway. And I mean, even in this sequence, by the way, there's the, clever choreography
0: as he's faking his power you know he, he's using the sort of thunder palm palm where you know steam comes out of his uh, palm or whatever and people fall back and it's clearly ill-timed because it's a con so 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 the choreographer master has to actually make fake uh, fake looking choreography here and uh, and then johnny wang starts throwing him around and and my point here is that there, there's well-picked moments within such an easy scenario with johnny wang just throwing him around because there's well-picked slow motion moments and gordon is a big reactor yes he's got big eyes and he's uh, panicked and all of that it's perfect for his character because he's not in control of his con and amidst all that Lau galang picks his technical moments really well to emphasize that of course this was gonna fail and it's going to fail quite horribly. And uh, everybody's screwed now. So what's going to happen now then? Uh, if uh, if they have no... I'm sure they could have found someone else. But uh, they're clearly uh, not going to get their wages now. Because they, this guy failed them. That's all before actual choreography starts. And he's already getting stuff right. Which I think is uh, super admirable.
1: Yeah, it was, the, it was a good little scene. and the, 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 I like the fact that where he gets pushed and he flies over that wall. And he lands on the floor in front of Wang Lung Wei, and then they they do their dialogue, and then Wang Lung Wei boots him back over the other side, and he flies through the and He lands lands on his feet, and then just falls straight backwards. Thought that was quite funny, and then he like sits up and ends up cross-legged with his left hand out. I just thought that was a you know funny little funny little scene.
0: Yeah, they do, they do pick those moments because they're, they're slow-motion moments, yes, but you do remember them because they are s- sort of well-picked is my uh, term of choice uh, for all of this. So Lau isn't uh, relying on
1: slow-motion just because he has no other ideas or anything, uh, not at all. I've got to say I've been watching a lot of Sam Peckinpah recently and I, w- I was watching this film today and the slow motion was making me think of it. The Sam Peckinpah stuff and the way he used to use slow motion, especially in his action scenes. That's obviously an influence on Le surely. Yeah, John Woo certainly looked at
0: that, but I think John also saw how Chang Che used to use slow motion or in collaboration with his action choreographers uh, one of which was Lau Galang so I'm sure it's it's like a combined sort of love for the the cinematic style that Sam Peckinpah really brought to the table whether The Wild Bunch or, or any other movie uh, I I I actually have the wild bunch at the top of my pile right here, and I was planning to rewatch it because I haven't watched it in years. So that's that's gonna be that's motivation for me, right? As we get to the Shaolin Temple and all of that, I think yeah, there are a lot of comedic things here, but none really slow things down, and none are really you know cringe worthy or anything. You'd think that having laxative humor would stop the movie cold. He actually isn't because he, you know, Gordon Liu's character uses that in order to smuggle himself in as part of the crew that carries vegetables or have cleaned the fields or, or whatever. But uh, it's it's all good. But uh, and, and Lao Golem keeps this sort of straight line towards the plot progression despite stopping to do these uh, set pieces. For instance, with the chamber traps that Gordon Liu fails at, you know, he gets. Uh, trapped uh in one of the chambers but i love how he plays confident or tries to play confident because he isn't the dialogue about because he can't he he can't like uh, jump over the sand in that particular chamber so he piggybacks someone you know yeah he does yeah 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 and, yeah. and he argues that's that uh that, that's a north shaolin technique or some crap like that and I, I think people act like they buy it, but most of the people don't buy that this is this is real or anything. like yeah, So he, he can't bullshit his way through any situation, I think.
1: Yeah, I, I, I think that's what it is. He tries to con his way into Shaolin, and as you said, because they are the experts on Shaolin, they don't fall for it. And uh, there, there's some good little scenes. That that scene, as you said, with all the sand and all the footprints and him piggybacking on about the guy saying, oh, that's how we do it at Northern Shaolin and all that sort of stuff. It's really good, and I love the bit when he makes his wig as well. I thought that was really funny. Oh, yeah,
0: the dialogue is, uh, is <laughs> extraordinary there because he, you know, his his the dye is leaking there, so obviously he's got black dye running down his face. So, but he he's got a response to that. I've got grey hair. I mean, the, the, despite being so young, so young, so I dyed black. And it's almost like they're messing with him. Like, let this guy in. We're going to have some fun with this guy. Obviously, he's a con man. and uh, But but obviously, he can't hurt us either. He's not, uh, he's not a, a traitor or anything like that. So let's just have some fun for once. We've we've been good up until this point.
1: It's, it's a good little thing. And going back to the uh, martial arts aspects of it, that bit when he's in that corridor with all the sand and... He's watching the guys, and they're doing all the different stances. You know, the tall stance, unicorn step, all that sort of stuff. And I just think that's still really good because it's showing you that they're there to train.
0: Yeah, very much so. So it has its roots in the in the series still. It hasn't um, made a left turn, and it's not acknowledging the series anymore, which is a lot of fun because that means we get new visual creativity and not just a repeat of...
1: Yeah, and that's why it's such a... I mean, you know, he's rated highly by a lot of people, but you know, I think that's why he's so exceptional as a filmmaker because he could have took the direct route sequel, you know, with Leo Garfei playing Center, uh, but they chose not to, and they chose to go to it from a different angle.
0: I mean, it's not even Kung Fu for a larger amount of times, man. I mean, they, they, it's centers on training at the most. But mostly it centers on the fact that, yeah, yes, he needs to build himself up as a man, like you, you can't be a con man anymore. But Lao Golong really bravely just says, well, you walked into the cinema but, and you might be expecting Kung Fu, but I'm going to win you over because we're now going to watch Gordon Liu trying to wash his hair for about 10 minutes. <laughs> right, by, by throwing the rock into the well, and I'm gonna make that extraordinarily extraordinarily entertaining, and have some cool shots surrounding that, and you know what, he's right, he's absolutely right, because that scene is hilarious, because the, the timing, you know, he tries to, okay, if I throw the rock there, and then move to this side of the well, the yeah. water's gonna come here, and when it doesn't, it you goes the other the way, way. <laughs> yeah. you, and I'm so fucking glad, Mike, that they didn't put a, on the soundtrack, because that would have been really uh, a lack of confidence by the filmmaker. No, he really plays it like really dry <laughs> when the water goes to the right, if and he's to the left, <laughs> and then he's determined, like like you read about, just picks it up, throws it in, picks it up, throws it in, picks it up, throws it in, and he manages finally to get his hair uh, cleaned after a whole night of that stuff. And I, I I can't say how delightful I think that is because he alone just argues that. This is my scene and I am in the right to focus on this scene because this is plot progression. This is not my little skit that is in place of me not coming up with anything else. No, this is crucial.
1: Yeah, and it's also the fact that oh, is washing his hair. He's also getting trained while he's doing it as well, which is what I like about it. You know, has anyone really
0: argued that... I mean, I'm, I'm saying this and pulling this out of my bottom because... Have people talked about the fact that the Karate Kid was inspired by this or so inspirations for the Karate Kid have been argued to come from other places? Because that's what happens in the Karate Kid. He does other things.
1: Yeah, wax on, wax off. Exactly. Know. Paint the fence, mm. yeah. yeah. I'd be really surprised if he didn't, to be brutally honest. And funnily enough, I've been rewatching the Karate Kid today and I've been watching it with the audio commentary on, and I haven't yet got to the bit where he starts his training, so I'll be keeping me at ESP old for just in case to mention whether that was influenced by a certain thing.
0: Yeah, so, listeners, merely a theory, but uh, it's, a co- it's, it's a similarity, all right, between the movies at the very least. Uh, you know, and, and again, the movie continues to argue that uh, defying expectations is a fun and entertaining uh, angle, and uh, also... Uh, it, it's entertaining to see that he isn't accepted by the monk, Sante. Again, we we see him play by another actor. But but he, he's he's a diligent sort of worker. He is determined. So we can sort of use him or we can use him in a constructive way by having him do the scaffolding all around the temple and all of that. It, it's part of that, that thing where the movie doesn't get stuck on anything, Mike. But really, it's, it has done the training, training sequences on the ground and now... We see him observe from above and uh, tie scaffolding together and create his own little training stations around the courtyard and the temple. And while that may not be practical in any way and just a movie thing, it's a rather delightful idea that I can't remember anyone has exploited ever since because I don't think there's any other ideas to this, right? <laughs> what do we go from, from there? I think he did it. I think Lao Gah did it in his movie and we have to come up with something else because who can imitate that? And if you imitate it, you'd look rather foolish, I think.
1: Yeah, and it's uh, it just it goes back to what a genius Legar Lung was, because you know, as far as as far as the Le Garfai character is concerned, he's just putting the scaffolding up around the building. But what you know, Santa knows, and uh, we eventually find out is that he's been trained without him knowing it. And uh, the fact that he's overseen all the other chambers and copying different things, you know, it turns out was all part of the plan after all. He thinks he's not being allowed in Shaolin to train, but he actually is. He's just not aware of it, which I thought was a really, really clever thing to do.
0: I mean, mean, it leads to that uh, confrontation. And, and again, I think that's where the sort of karate, be- karate kid bells went off for me because uh, Sante asks him to leave and Gordon Liu's character is defined. And we get to showcase the fact that he, his skills are there um, because he avoids him. He doesn't trip in that uh, soaped-up uh, little uh, track that they've got and he manages to avoid all the uh, pointed logs that they have there going yeah. up the stairs. So, And I think that that's just... It's a little rousing, isn't it? That, like, oh, he learned, like, right on. You know, he's 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 because he, he's endearing enough, and then we realize that, oh my god, he's learned something, and hope f- physically and hopefully mentally, he's learned something yeah. as well.
1: and and I love those how long scenes where they're doing the training when the, does someone when have to put the incense they have to. Have to- punch through that, that little door to put the incense in the incense holder. Using his fingers, that strength in his fingers you know, his fingers training. And uh, there's probably only a sad like me that notice that. And there's the bit when they have to punch there's some bit when they have to it like some saloon you know, saloon type doors and they have to punch through them. And and if you look, is that punch through them is that they open that they're doing if you look at any of the Hungar forms, that's the salute. The the right fist and the open left hand. So if you Get on YouTube later and watch some of the the things. They'll do that salute. So that's another little nod to his, like, his Leo Garlungs Hungar uh, background.
0: And hearing you talk about that means that he isn't uh, defiling any teachings of Hungar, but rather he's using something that people like you know, but then making it sort of movie entertaining because he's he's decided to make a comedy. So it isn't um, uh, tarnishing any reputations of an ancient and constructive technique or anything like that.
1: Quite the opposite.
0: It's making it look extremely cool. Yeah, well, yeah, we wish we could all do it like that, but the, most of us would fail like he does in the beginning of the movie, where it just shuts on his hands immediately. <laughs> and I love that little uh, image of him being stuck, <laughs> you know, like a like a like a poor animal being stuck in a trap or something. So there's no denying that he's uh, he, at that point he isn't skilled. But in uh, all this leads to the fact that we haven't talked about a single fight scene, and as a matter of fact. Aside from the first uh, encounter with Johnny Wang, which is really a beatdown, it's really only the last sequence, isn't it? That uh, we we've got true kung fu, but it's it's using the, uh, the the literally the scaffolding technique physically as well, because he's brought uh, bamboo and bamboo string to it all. And uh, what's your take on that? Does he uh, craft uh, amusing cho- amusing and, and even great choreography out of? Um, uh, out of extending of a scaffolding um, scaffolding theme to the actual fight,
1: I think it's exceptional because even when he returns back to town, he doesn't think he can fight. He thinks he's wasted his time. And then when it turns out that he can, he starts utilising all the things that he's learned. And as you've said, it's time. There's a great bit when he sees Quan Young Moon when he he it he, 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 he like hog ties him to that pole yep. using uh, just really really clever stuff that you wouldn't have seen in another film at that time because of all the action performers there. It's it's, it's just top notch.
0: And everybody gets to do something
1: different. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And when he fights all the other guys and he's got them all. Trapped between those bamboo poles, and then he starts tying them together so they can't move. Really, really, uh, really, really clever stuff. God knows how many, how many takes it took, or how long it took to film that, because uh, you know everything had to be precise. All the timing had to be perfect. Yeah, the grace and complexity,
0: and the um, within the choreography is still present, but the unusual choreography content is. Uh, you know it's sort of another level unusual visual sites and they managed to find not lazy comedic sites that we've seen but new ones that doesn't make the movie stray into way too goofy or way too sort of um, obscure territory where we don't know what the concept is and I think he really strikes a nice balance and and also something I really liked which has been present in other long movies is the fact that this movie has no violence it has sort of some beat downs but minus spoiler but he the, the final fight isn't about killing it's about okay. bringing people to justice and th- there's a thread in certain of his movies man where he doesn't advocate violence he advocates uh, obviously quite the opposite but heroes of the east is obviously this uh, meeting of minds an understanding of between cultures rather than cultures being out for each other's blood and if that isn't a filmmaker thinking, then I don't know what is. Because it, I talk about it in a way where at least... I mean, I'm pretty dumb. But I, I think it ha- it's all valid little commentaries and uh, new ways of looking at things. And uh, no, not necessarily in a, where it's about pacifism and fascism or anything, but it's unusual for Kung Fu, Kung Fu genre, period. Because when I think back on it, I don't think many really walked in Laogalong's footsteps because it was more difficult. It was easier to ape Snake and Eagle Shadow and the likes. But the way Laogalong fought and all his collaborators, it made it more difficult to copy. And really the only thing I think a lot of people copied uh, were the likes of the first Fudgy Chamber movie because it's more slotted into recognizable tropes. But here you get to Return and... He's fought so much that it's not easy to copy it. And if you did, yeah, as I said, you'll you, you'll be a you, you'll be a fool because uh, everybody would say exactly where you got that from. And it's not easy to sort of uh, rise above that uh, as such. So yeah, it's the only scaffolding movie I can think of.
1: Uh, the, the, the thing is, as well it, 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 as you said, there's, there's, there's no 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 one's killed in it, and uh, there's quite a few of his films where that isn't the, you know where that is the case. People aren't killed. I'm trying to think now. This Heroes of the East. Ladies, the boss. I don't know how bloodthirsty my young auntie was. My young auntie, I, don't, I can't think of any people being killed in that. I mean, his darkest film is probably Eight Diagram Pal Fighter. Oh, for sure. for sure. Which does feature feature a lot of fatalities, but but there's reasons for that. But this one, I also like the fact that when he originally leaves, he wants there to get his revenge, and then at the end, when he comes back, he says, "This is isn't about revenge. I just want all the die workers to be paid what you owe them."
0: And and I mean it might be uh, and again it's just fear fear here, but uh, it might be good to make a movie like this every now and again to uh, to make the genre a bit more family friendly. Uh, you know, whether locally or, uh, or in the in the global eyes, because uh, um, we we don't have a lot of bloodshed, we don't have a lot of guttings and like a Changchien movie or anything like that. Uh, and and even Thirty Six Chamber of Shaolin, it, because it was a revenge movie, obviously uh, violence was inherent. Inherent within it, uh, but uh, a well-executed one, obviously. But uh, I, I really dug that La uh He gets credits granted, but uh, he still deserves to have it called out that uh, he, he was uh, he was thinking and was not just channeling his uh, kung fu background in a lazy way because he knew how to extend it and understand uh, understood the movies as well.
1: Well, thing is as well, yeah. I mean, the end fight—it's literally it's on a building site, isn't it? The the other fact is, is what he's learned when he was at Shaolin... He uses in the end scene with like tying them up using his uh scaffold, his exceptional scaffolding skills, and that other bit when they're running after him, he runs over all that sand and he like uh, turns it all up and it gets yes. in their eyes so they can't see like, <laughs> like what happened at the start. Another nod back to the to the like the beginning or the middle of the film, and that's something that's prevalent in all of his movies, and, and I think that's that's I really like that about him. And and the fact that there's such a good beat down at the end and something that did strike me is the final fight he has with Wang Li. The fighting for part of it in a corridor. It's a corridor, isn't it? Oh yes. And I am sitting there thinking, thinking. You don't think this is some sort of thing that stuck in his mind, and then the following year they did Marshall Club. You know, it's just one of those things that makes you think. Well, that seemed to work. Why don't we do the next one? There'll be a big fight at the end scene where they're in a corridor. But make
0: it, but make it different though, because uh, exactly the, the 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 thing was as as the longer that fight scene ran, the more narrow the corridor became. So obviously uh, Wong Fei Hung versus the Johnny Wang character. they Need to think and adjust to that, I suppose. So.
1: The other bit, uh, the other note I made was the, the scene at the end where you've got the shredded bamboo poles and the all the guys are cut. And Leo Garland does a similar thing in Drunken Master 2 when him and Jackie have that fight in that tea house where he's got this bamboo and he's breaking it so it's all shredding and they're all being cut. So, as I've said before, he's obviously picked up a lot of things that, that he continues to look at and think, you know, maybe I'll use this here, which is what what I like about him as a, as a filmmaker. And, and that is not greatly
0: violent or anything because, um, you know, some reds on faces and bodies, uh, but not uh, any body horror uh, moments or anything that uh, makes the movie stray. I mean, we're talking Hong Kong movies. they They knew how to jump between... Light and dark in a moment's notice, but uh, he lao keeps it you know, the, the, the sort of uh, the, there's a straight arrow from beginning to end in terms of what moods he's doing and the concepts and all of that, so it's all admirable and I enjoy it very, very much. And um, I'll conclude my notes right there, buddy. Uh, you have the floor if you want to mention anything else from beginning, middle, or end of movie.
1: Uh, it's just going by, something just popped in my head about the shredded bamboo, and if, if I recall correctly. That's how he injures Lau Garlung at the end of Challenge of the Masters. Doesn't it? They're fighting in the bamboo and he ends up getting his arms caught between them and he's all cut. And that's, an, you know, that, 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 that's another, you know, it's something that's prevalent in a lot of his films.
0: You're right. I think he, like, injures his leg or something when they're in the bamboo forest. Yeah. And, and you know, so speaking of a scene that has a um, train of thoughts, you know, because he's defiant, Lao Garlung's character. He wants to fight and kill and Gordon Liu sort of quietly, in, in a non-verbal way, says no.
1: He doesn't say like, no. You should not. But Robert... that's right because he's trying to help. He's trying to help him. He's he? not he won't let him. And then he looks at him and then he realises he's on B to you. You know. So and then he lets him help him. Really good stuff. Logar Kar such a really good actor as well that I don't think he gets enough credit for either. All like a master, a um, like gathered experience that makes
0: some of these. Um, performers we l- like and love. Uh, you know, they transfer into drama really well. Some were stage actors granted, but still, you know, when when Samuel, for instance, started doing drama, it was never a surprise to me that he was able or anything. Uh, looking back on pa- you know, on Painted Faces and, and what have you, and uh, I think uh, the, the same could be said of uh, Lau Galum if he if he ever were to attempt a drama. He when he, he acted it was more I don't know, uh, especially in his later years, more more with four with, with kung fu authority, four or and that was great enough, obviously.
1: Yeah, yeah. Another thing as well is uh, his use of doubling, uh, especially the end fight. Probably see how might be somebody else, but 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 doubling for Leo Garfe when he's on the scaffolding, and uh, there's a nice little scene when the, the scaffolding splits, and he like just splits, and then he like rolls himself over, and then lands on the ground. Really, really well done. We you had the acrobatic uh, show
0: there so uh, that's all likely uh, because uh, Gordon Liu never never really you know had acrobatic showcases on film as such so that's probably a good instance where you do need some clever doubling and and I can't for like to remember if that was obvious doubling or not and it probably wasn't, probably was uh, very well uh, well done so as for availability then, the uh, Hong Kong DVD by IVL and Celestial actually is still available um at the last time I checked. Uh, it, it looks as looks and sounds okay. And uh, but, but there, there is a trilogy box set on Hong Kong Blu-ray that actually also lists English as a language option which would be cool for fans because in all likelihood those are the old dubs so it's good that that ends up on a Hong Kong Blu-ray uh, I can't comment on the quality of this set uh, because I don't own it if it's uh, proper HD but uh, Celestial have been better versus Fortune Star for instance to supply actual high-definition materials for their, for their disc releases uh, in Hong Kong or internationally but uh, you can also stream the movie in the following Netflix uh, regions: uh, you got uh, it in the UK, US, Canada, Ireland, New Zealand, and Australia. I know the US version is Mandarin only, but and and for me this definitely felt like the movie was meant to be and performed and was performed largely in Cantonese. If you're curious, go for it. I'm I'm sure there's not a problem at all to adjust, so to say, to the Mandarin overall. Uh, you can also rent. The movie on US or UK iTunes, and at least the US version on iTunes has Cantonese and English dub options included, as well as subtitles, of course. So, uh, plenty of options out there, and uh, uh, one day I might try out that uh, Hong Kong Blu ray box set, but um, certainly no hurry because I think the Hong Kong DVDs, except the first one, but uh, because it was like fake. Anamorphic, so it looks a little fussy, but the the rest of the DVDs look look and sound quite okay.
1: I rewatched the DVD because for some reason I couldn't get it on Netflix. I don't know why they are tagging it off or not because it was on there at some point. Right. But I rewatched the IVL Celestial, and uh, I thought it looked, you know, the picture quality was fine. The colours were nice and vibrant. The you know you got your Mandarin or Cantonese, so it's quite good. There's also if you have got the IVL. Celestial, there's a little mini-documentary on, which covers the kung fu in the film, but it also speaks to some guys who currently work in Hong Kong doing bamboo scaffolding. It's quite interesting to watch it.
0: Uh, So that's us for this episode, so I'm not going to bore you all with some extensive contact information, so in all simplicity, for all your Podcast on Fire network needs, uh, including the back catalogue of this show, Podcast on Fire, go to podcastonfire.com, and to make your choice over there. Hope we have something that you find interesting across the various shows that we do. And uh, if you are and were a first time listener, thank you very much. I hope you liked it, and by all means, get in touch with us through through email or uh, on our social media. We have our handy buttons at the top of our website, so you can navigate to social media and hit us up. We're all a Friendly bunch, so uh, uh, looking forward to hearing from you if you decide to do so. But uh, that's uh, I think that's us, buddy. So uh, that is uh, a a mixture of uh, notes and content and moods, ranging from high risk to (laughs) return to the first six chamber. And uh, and uh, why not? It makes for a good pairing with uh, discussion and context and all of that. So thank you for that, Mike. You always bring it uh, the context and all of that. All right, buddy, let's uh, finish this one off. I've been going and be away was Mike Miley, so... Mike Miley, <sighs> Mike Miley for heaven's sake. <laughs> so, so sign us out, buddy.
1: See you later. Bye.